Welcome to the voice of St. Anthony Parish here in Alston, Massachusetts, and uh, we're here every single Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It is Thursday, and we listen on Thursdays to the Theology of the Body series from Sister Helena Burns. This is number five coming up, brand new uh, episode, and welcome to Sister Helena Burns. Hey folks, this is Sister Helena Burns from the Daughters of St. Paul in Jamaica Plain, continuing our series on John Paul II's life-changing Theology of the Body. This is session five. We talked last time about needing a new system in the church of John Paul II creating a new system um, from everything that's gone before us to give us an adequate anthropology, a scriptural biblical worldview of the human body. Okay, so why, why did it culminate now? Why was theology of the body desperately needed now? Well, we have to go back about 500 years. We can actually go back further than that, but what most influences our world today started about 500 years ago in its particular manifestation. 500 years ago, Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall and the Humpty and the Dumpty got separated. 500 years ago, a perfect storm happened when science, philosophy, and theology all stepped outside their own disciplines and began separating things that go together, namely the physical and the spiritual. We call that dualism. Dualism is bad. It, it rips apart things to, to ill effect that should be together, like body and soul. Body and soul are not the same thing, um, but they are a unity in duality. So what was going on? in the world of science, philosophy, and theology. Well, in the world of science 500 years ago, and science as we know is the study of the physical world, truth is gained through experiments, through empirical knowledge. The scientific revolution was in full swing. And let's remember that uh, it was fully uh, backed and came out of Catholicism, really, because we believe in objective truth and that truth can be found and that God put this world together and we can discover the laws of nature. So remember also that there was there was no other Christianity except orthodoxy at this time. There was Catholicism and orthodoxy. Uh, the Catholic Church founded universities, hospitals, and everything. So the scientific method came out of a Catholic worldview, a Catholic world, a Catholic way of thinking. And it was in full swing with great strides and progress was being made in many of the sciences with tremendous benefits to humanity. And in great part, this was due to the scientific method, which we just use all the time now today. But scientists who are supposed to study the physical world began making proclamations about theology, declaring that there was no God, soul, or anything spiritual, because A, they couldn't see these things in their microscopes or telescopes. B, they believed science would eventually be able to explain everything and cure everything. And C, Science would even create utopia on earth. We might be able to uh, prolong life indefinitely, things like that. So science went all dogmatically physical, denying the spiritual, even though the spiritual is outside science's realm. And science is not supposed to shut the door on any possibilities, especially those outside its realm. So what developed was something called scientism. Remember, isms are not always good. 
They can be an extreme. They can be an ideology. A lot of times we talk about isms. So scientism says that science is the only kind of truth that there is. Wow, really? There's no other types of truth? Nope. It says that there's only scientific truths and that everything can be known and understood by science, that science can explain all things, which doesn't make sense because not everything is within um, science's realm even or expertise. So scientism became like a religion or an ideology that people subscribe to. What was going on in the world of philosophy? And philosophy, as we know, is gaining knowledge, getting to the truth through reason alone. Philosophy can properly study both the physical, the material world, and the spiritual, immaterial world, because it deals in logic, reasoning, and thought alone, and all of those are immaterial, but its proper subject is to look at the world around itself. Philosophy doesn't do experiments like science does. You'll never find a philosopher in the lab. It just employs concrete and abstract thinking both. Enter René Descartes. He was both a mathematician and a philosopher. And he decided that as a philosopher, he couldn't trust the physical world because sometimes his senses deceived him. Now, it's okay as a philosopher, again, he could, he could study the physical world, but through reason alone, not doing experiments. Therefore, he declared the only real world is the world inside our minds. And he thus changed the world of philosophy by making it purely spiritual, unable to know or say anything true about the physical world. Descartes' famous saying is, I think, therefore I am. Cogito ergo sum in Latin. But that's backwards. It should be, I am, therefore I think. Because being, having existence, precedes any other action like thinking. I don't think and therefore I am. I am and therefore I think. But what he was saying is that all he could be sure of, know for sure, know to be true, is that he is thinking. What if this outside exterior world isn't real? What if it's one big illusion? So he said that thinking is what proves he exists. But, but he's already starting from a point of view of doubt. Why should he trust what's inside his mind if he doesn't trust what's outside his mind? So Descartes was actually a profound skeptic, skeptic about the very nature of reality, or if reality even exists at all. So he, he changed the playing field and went all spiritual. Now, if he had said, I burp, therefore I am, this would have been much better um, because it's a statement that's verifiable. It's concrete, it's physical, uh, verifiable by all within hearing range and rooted in the physical where philosophy needs to start. So why did Descartes think he could trust his mind and not his body, not trust the material world around him? Don't our minds deceive us too? Can't we get lost inside our minds where no one else can go and live in an unreal world and make up things that don't exist? Here's how, incredibly, Descartes, who was probably a much better mathematician than a philosopher, reached his conclusion. He put a straight stick in a glass of water which made it look bent. He said, oh no, I can't trust the material world. 
My senses deceive me. Now, what's happening here? A philosopher is doing an experiment. Philosophers do not belong in the lab in the first place. Okay. So he said, this stick is not bent, but it appears that it is. Well, now, how did Descartes know that the stick was actually straight? He observed it with his senses before it went in the water. How did he know the water didn't bend it? Because he pulled it out of the water and observed with his senses, physically, that it was still straight. So he just denied his own, his own reasoning, okay? Um, so as Aquinas says, all knowledge comes first through the senses. So he did two big boo-boos right there. He started experimenting, and then he started um, using the physical to prove something and then saying he can't trust the physical. So the world can change due to the craziest little things. <laughs> and it reminds me of the time when the bird dropped a baguette into the Hadron Collider, that machine, immense machine in Switzerland where scientists are hoping to emulate the Big Bang. It shut it down for a few days. The smallest things, right? But I digress. Descartes died a devout Catholic and didn't comprehend the mess his ideas would make. But before we blame poor Descartes for turning philosophy all spiritual, let's remember that people could have easily debunked Descartes' experiment like we just did. And he wasn't supposed to be doing experiments anyway. Descartes didn't realize that his slogan meant, reality is now what you want it to be. That is, that is really tempting, right? That is really appealing because now I can do whatever I want according to the reality that I make up. Of course, no one can truly live their whole life this way. Everyone has to follow the laws of gravity, for example. Once a philosophy professor who taught that the physical world was basically an illusion was driving a student to the school. He asked the student to get out and open the gate so he could drive through. And the student said, what gate? Just imagine it's not there. Okay, so let's go to the theology world of the 1500s. What was happening there? And theology, as we know, is the study of God and the things of God. And it uses revelation, not just faith, but revelation to get to truth, meaning any religion worth its salt believes that God is speaking to it, has revealed something to it. So for 1500 years, Christianity in Europe um, and elsewhere had been united as Catholicism. There was not a divided Christianity except, as we said, with the Orthodox. The tragic split between the Catholic Church and Orthodox Church in 1054 which is sometimes called the East-West Schism, was not really about beliefs. It was about differing cultures and an authority and power struggle. Very sad. To this day, Catholics and Orthodox hold the same fundamental beliefs and practices. For example, the liturgy, sacraments, apostolic succession in the ordination of bishops and priests, and virtually all the same basic truths and practices. But in Germany in the 1500s, a Catholic priest and Augustinian friar, a friar is like a monk, named Martin Luther, Father Luther, as we would say in Boston, Father Luther, was profoundly scandalized by the corruption in the church, selling of indulgences, the sinful lies of many bishops, um, a lot of other horrible things going on in the church, corruption in the church. But he was also in disagreement with many fundamental Christian doctrines. So let's, let's not forget that part. He left the church, the Catholic church, and began his own form of Christianity. 
So there had been divisions and heresies throughout church history, but nobody had ever attempted to start their own church. And it doesn't seem Luther actually set out to do that, but when it happened, he was okay with that. So Luther opened the floodgates for anyone to start their own church, which began immediately. We had Calvin, Zwingli, and many others. We now have 30,000 different Christian denominations in the United States alone and counting. So we're going to leave it right here in this terrible place to make a break, (laughs) but we'll pick it up. um, What was going on in the world of the 1500s in science, philosophy, and theology that split apart the physical and the spiritual, which necessitated today's Theology of the Body by John Paul II. Thanks and God bless till next time. Thank you, Sister and Sister Lena Burns. We'll be back next week with the next new episode of the Theology of the Body series. In the meantime, remember the Daughters of St. Paul's store is open, Route 1 South in Dedham, right across from Legacy Place. Have a blessed day.